podcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Episode 731 of I Doubt It. I am your host, Tired Guy McGee, joined by the lovely, the talented, the scholarly co-host of this program, the Yacht Rock Fan of the Year, Brittany Page, everybody. Don't malign my character in that way, please, at the start of the show. It's too early in the show for attacks it's on ne- my character. One... It is never too early for an attack. Two, you are liking the Yacht Rock. No, no. So here's what happened. Okay, you're right. You're loving the Yacht Rock. Here's what happened. You had, you were unaware of the term Yacht Rock. Or maybe you you have heard the term? Never heard it. Well, maybe I've heard it, but had no idea what it was. So I decided, you know, Spotify sometimes recommends playlists and they had one that I think it's called smooth sailing and it has yacht rock on it and so I played it and some of the songs were good you know King Harvest Dancing in the Moonlight uh, Toto what was the Toto yeah one? Rosanna yeah um, a couple of uh, Hall and Oates tunes yeah yeah there were some good things and then there was also a lot of trash that you know, no one wants to hear why is it called yacht rock like, yacht would be, like, something fancy, I would think, right? Um, well, maybe it's because they're smooth tunes. <laughs> that still doesn't make any sense to me. So, I just Googled it while we were talking. All right. <laughs> a style, ooh, a style of smooth. Did you just squeal with delight? Yeah, because I was right. A style of smooth, tuneful rock music, popular especially in the U.S. in the late 1970s and early 1980s. Yeah, but why yacht? Why yacht Because rock? it's like smooth sailing. Smooth Sailing. Do you yeah, get it? I know you keep saying smooth. Why yeah, don't they call smooth. it? Why don't they sailing. call it sour cream yacht? Sour cream is smooth and creamy and smooth. Um, cake batter yacht. Cake batter rock. So I think the reason they didn't do that is because that would be like dumb. Oh, and but yacht rock is just on point. Yacht rock is really cool. <laughs> So I think that's the primary. Here's here's what I here's what I really like is that I've cornered you, yeah, and forced you into position to defend the naming of <laughs> the shitty genre of music. Listen, but it's not totally shitty. I mean, most of the songs that were playing on that playlist weren't great, sure. But when you talk about the Doobie Brothers, love the Doobie Brothers. When you talk about uh, Hall & Oates, Hall & Oates is fantastic. Very yeah, but that's good. that's not... Well, some of it is. Uh, it doesn't have to necessarily <laughs> be categorized as yacht rock, though. Just because some ding-dong made up a word and said, all of this is yacht rock. It's kind of like calling Guns N' Roses classic rock. Well, 
I mean, when does something become classic rock for you? Well, for me, classic rock is a genre of music from like the 70s. Mm-hmm. So is, is Elvis also classic rock? Well, that's rock and roll, is it not? Is it? It's old enough. It should be classic rock well, by your definition. So the the Elvis is classic rock. Prove me wrong. Isn't that the <laughs> Steven Crowder thing? Please don't reference anything <laughs> that he does or that he cares about. Um, yeah, Foo Fighters play on classic rock stations. Yeah, see, now. that's that's heresy to me. That that's that's <laughs> that's insane to me. Uh huh. That that's considered like Aerosmith could yeah that's classic rock that's still in that you know older era. Well, Jesse, you know what? You tell us what you think all the rules for all of the genres should be when it comes to music. That's too much work for me. Mm. I tell you what: if you have a question to which you need a definitive answer <laughs> about where something lies, yeah, come to Jesse and ask. Then I'll give you the answer because you have time to do that. Yeah, but I'm not gonna. Yeah, I'm already tired, guy McGee. <laughs> you have time to filter all these questions. I just, it's, I, I, I listen. I don't have time for that. Okay. But if you need answers, I've got the definitive know-how about shit. You're just going to keep them to yourself. Yes. Yeah, I think that's actually a great idea. Mm-hmm. A the, perfect idea. The secrets will stay with you. As well they should. Do you think your Red Bull is going to help your tired My situation? lethargy. Yeah. Well, one, it's a tiny Red Bull. It's the... Uh, the 8.4 ounce. I mean, it's like a swig mm-hmm. of sugar-free Red Bull. Sure. Anyway. It doesn't seem like a swig, but okay. I think you'll I think nah. you'll you'll have wings shortly. That's what I'm they just say. T- I'm not sleeping well. Yeah, what is that about? That's a question to which I don't have the answer, Brittany. See, now you 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 you've you've uh, elucidated the situation mm-hmm. for the audience that I actually don't have all the answers. I thought I had them fooled. But now you've uh, uncovered the, tr- the truth. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. It's hard. I'm having a, I'm back in a weird no sleep situation. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we're all still adjusting to things going back to quote unquote normal. Uh, I know here in California, the plan is to have things completely open by June, I believe. Is the plan. I read today that one out of five, 20% of America is now vaccinated, Mm -hmm. which is very strange because we have plateaued where our lows are the same as our highs from this summer, like as far as new infections. Okay. We're like 65, 75,000 infections per day, which that's where we were like back in July, I think. Mm -hmm. Not good. Mm -hmm. Yesterday. Okay. Yesterday. 81,320. Mm-hmm. And still... New, new cases? New infections. Yeah, new cases. Up 13% over the 14-day the uh, average. and um, But 995 deaths. So the death toll is far lower, 28%. But I, I was hearing Fauci talk, and I we're on the depressing bullshit now, but Fauci was saying that that's great, the deaths are low, but um, because older people are now vaccinated and this surge that we're seeing this this high level plateau is because young people are now getting infected because of the variants and they're being irresponsible jerk-offs mm-hmm. who aren't taking this seriously because it doesn't affect me joe rogan i'm not going to get the vaccine because i don't need it mm-hmm. jackassery yes anyway for sure irresponsible 
definitely irresponsible and got to continue with the mask wearing as well. Double. Double the mask. That's what we're doing. Well, with the with the medical mask and the cloth mask is the best combination. I just have two. Two medical. Because I can't. I have two giant of, of a pumpkin head. We haven't been able to find a regular cloth mask that works well. Well, that's not true. <laughs> what do you mean that's not true? We we found one that you like. You're just refusing to wear it. I have set it out for you multiple times. Is it the one with the tiny little ear straps that cut right? They dig right into my tiny little dwarf ears? No, it's the one that I set out for you because you said, oh, yeah, I like this one. This one would work. All right. Well, quote, end quote, Jesse Dollimore. Oh, all right. All right. So... Well, then I will, I will set straight away. But sure, continue away. with your narrative that you live in a hopeless, cloth, mask-free world, that you nothing will work for you. Wow. It's, it's a bummer for you. That is what I said. Yeah. I mean, we could play the tape You're back. being discriminated against. If indeed we have the technology, we could play the tape back, and that would be what I said. That would be, I live in a downtrodden existence with no cloth masks for me, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We don't need to get into it, but I did say, we don't need to get into the context in which this happened, but I did say the phrase, roll the tape back in a grocery store recently. We won't talk about the context, but I will also say that I said, nice try NRA to someone. But don't worry. Oh, wow. Don't worry about the context. Yeah, you did say roll the tape back because we were in a store where we were being videotaped. We don't need to take about the context. And that guy was coughing on the vegetables while taking his mask down. We don't need to get into And the we context. followed him into the parking lot. <laughs> I totally forgot about we this. We didn't follow him into the parking lot. No, 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 no. Well, he was in front of us. Yeah, he was the guy in front of us with the NRA sticker. And I was like, people still have an NRA stickers, huh? Just putting themselves out there as that kind of person. And then he pulled into the same store. We weren't like following him. Well, that's what it sounded yeah, like. Yeah, we context. weren't in hot pursuit. It was just he was the car in front of us. Before anything happened. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then right. he was the guy in the store. And you called him, all right, NRA. I said, nice try, NRA. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then he he started freaking out. That's a great story. Why don't we why do we lead with this? Well, because it seems like a bit much. We are it's always talking much. about these exchanges that we have. It's not with a people. bit much. He threatened to call the cops on me. I encouraged him to do so. Mm-hmm. And so he whipped out his phone and could barely he was faking like he was gonna dial. I'm just standing there like, do it, dude. Please call the cops. And he couldn't. His hands were shaking so badly mm-hmm. that he couldn't get to dial the phone. Yeah, but he was. He pulled his mask down. He, well, first of all, he was basically tempting the grocery store staff to challenge him. He came in the store without a mask, was slowly putting it on as he kind of walked around and looked at everything. The whole thing was aggressive. And then when he's getting the vegetables, he was pulling his mask down and at one point was fake coughing on them, like just to be, just to make himself a spectacle. Yeah. I mean, it was absurd. And so there were some words exchanged. You've gotten a lot more eager, not eager, you've gotten a lot more willing Well, to say something because, to somebody. Because here's what happens when you do. People unite because they're just as frustrated, but they don't want to say something. And every single time 
Um, we've been in a situation where something gets said, multiple people then yeah, join yeah, yeah. in and, and talk about what, what's happening. And the manager came out and said, you need to put your mask on, bro. Like this is, you know, right. we can't, we can't have you do it. Like just, just, just do it. Just do it. What's going on? Why do you come in here and harass the staff in here? It's also weird when the guy, cause first of all, I don't put my hands on anybody ever. No fucking way. Unless we're going to go to blows, which that hasn't happened in a decade. And he said, he, he touched me. He touched me. And that's when you said, roll, roll back the tape or whatever. Yeah. He was making claims that were anyway, it was just, it was absurd, but these people seem to go into these situations seeking conflict. So it's almost like you shouldn't engage. But at the same time, when someone is like coughing on vegetables, antagonizing grocery store employees. And I don't know, it just it's a bummer for them. And it was sad because the checker we were we were checking out and she was telling us that like people come in all the time and they have to like chase them around the store and they're being super aggressive and she was just talking about how exhausting it is yeah, yeah, yeah. to be working at her job and have to deal with all this bullshit. <laughs> I totally forgot about that. Anyway, that happened. Yeah. Everybody. <laughs> well, when you said roll the tape back, it just reminded me of <laughs> rolling the tape back. Little shaky Jake couldn't even dial the phone. Oh, poor guy. Poor guy. Poor guy coughing on the veggies. Maybe he has COVID. Oh, boy. Anyway, speaking of maybe he has COVID, that's like my universal transition to any any new topic, which doesn't have anything to do with the new topic. Uh, we got a couple emails. We've been talking about Georgia and voter suppression. I've done many, many, many videos on YouTube about voter suppression and specifically about this Georgia voter bill. And we got an email and a voicemail we're going to play. Let's start with the email. Hey, Brittany and Jesse, I know you are both huge sports nuts. Huge. Wink, wink. So you obviously. Wait, wait, wait. Wink, wink. I'm a sports fan. No, sports nuts. I are you a sport nut? I'm not a well. I don't think I'm a nut about anything. Mm. Oh, pursed lip. Hmm. Huh. Well, some things probably. Anyway, I, I like sports. <laughs> okay, just want to get that on the record. I like sports. Uh, you know, I love college football. Yeah, you do. Anyway, everybody just shut up. You know Brittany, what? Go ahead. I think you're a sports nut. I said everybody shut up. Brittany, go ahead. Okay. Wink, wink. So you obviously m- everybody is not shutting up. Brittany, proceed. <laughs> so you obviously listen. I hear everybody out there. I hear everybody out there snickering about me not being a sports nut. Shut up, Brittany. Go ahead. Wink, wink. So you obviously must have seen the story of Major League Baseball pulling the 2021 All Star Game out of Atlanta as a direct result of the new Georgia voting regulations being passed earlier this week. Pause. Pause on the email. I didn't. (laughs) I had to make sure you knew that I wasn't like pausing for edits on the show. Little little sausage being made. Because that's what you say. Pause when we edit. Uh, It's a classic move. Roll back the tape. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know about number one. I don't know what an all star game is. I don't know what that is at all. Um, I also did not know that this was a thing that was happening related to baseball until Mm -hmm. today. So. The All-Star game is stupid, just like it is in basketball or football. I mean, any of these games are just 
their their vanity things. Nobody plays hard because you might get injured and then it fucks up the rest of the season. It's t- they're stupid. Well, it's just stupid. just for Jim in Cleveland, who's writing in to us, I wanted to let Jim know that he is correct that I don't know about sports. Okay, continuing with the email. The last time MLB had an all-star game was in my hometown of Cleveland in 2019. The league told the Indians before the start of the season to either dump their racist, quote, Chief Wahoo logo or lose the all-star game entirely. The league got their way, of course. These festivities can generate upwards of $100 million in revenue for the host city. What is the best way you get a Republican lawmaker to stand up and take notice of something? You hurt their financial bottom line. Even if Atlanta is a largely blue area, the backlash will certainly get to where it needs to go. Remember when Kelly Loeffler spoke out against the Black Lives Matter movement last summer? The players of her own WNBA Atlanta franchise wore Vote Warnock shirts the more she kissed 45's ass. Yeah. She ended up selling the team after last season. The Braves' primary TV affiliate is TBS, a Warner Media property. Correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't there a certain cable news network based out of Atlanta that just so happens to also be a Warner Media property that could possibly report on this? Again, wink, wink. <laughs> this is CNN. <laughs> Love the show. You're both the best part. Jim in Cleveland. Jim, thank you very much. Um, I guess before we respond... I agree. I guess that's a response. But let's let's play the voicemail related to the same topic with an opposite point of view. Hey, you guys. It's James in Atlanta, living in my car, V. I, uh, I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about this Georgia voter suppression stuff that's happening and all of the corporate entities being encouraged to leave as a lifelong resident of the state and a progressive, of course I hate the political aspects of what's happening here. But I'm also deeply impacted by the idea of all these corporations leaving. And even you, Jesse, on your YouTube channel said Hollywood should up and leave. I'm an actor. It's how I've made my living for all my life. I live here in Georgia. I can't, I can't really move to L.A., I mean, I guess I could. I could be homeless out there. I'm homeless here, right? What's the difference? And just, I don't know. It was hard for me to listen to somebody tell me exactly how unimportant and irrelevant that I really am. You know, I just feel like a kid caught in a divorce and both parents are eventually just going to abandon me. There's just so much nuance to all of this. I just wish there were a way that we could make things right without so much collateral damage. Anyway. I also wish that, James. There is a lot of nuance in this. I wish there wasn't so much collateral damage. So there, that there, there wasn't the potential for that. And I I hope that it is more melodrama than anything else that you believe that I was telling you that you were unimportant and irrelevant. I'm going to watch my tone because I don't want to come across as just a, just a cock about this. But that is not in any way what I was saying 
to you or anybody else who who may uh, financially be impacted by a boycott of the state. And speaking of the nuance, and speaking of their a wish, a universal wish that there is not collateral damage, you mentioned that this is a political, the, the political aspects of this. This isn't just politics. This is the systematic disenfranchisement of black Americans. This is Georgia lawmakers, Republicans, making it illegal to hand out water or food in the disproportionately long lines in black precincts. This is the Georgia legislature commandeering oversight over the elections, stripping it away from the elected secretary of state and putting it into their own hands by appointing a commission. This is curtailing early voting and manipulating when people can vote and where they can drop off their ballots because drop boxes are going to be limited. There's going to be one in many, many places. And that one box will be in the voting center and it'll only be open open during voting hours. So as much as I am super empathetic to you and everyone else who may be economically impacted by this, what other solution do we have? I'm naming solutions, harsh as they may be. What do we do? What leverage do we have over Republicans? Back in 2010, um, was it? No, it was before. It was after that. 2015 or so, 2014, when the Religious Freedom Restoration Act was coming up in um, Indiana, mm-hmm. Mike Pence was governor. And the NCAA, speaking of me being a sports nut, the NCAA said, if this passes, we're yanking the final four out of Indiana and we're never coming back. Indiana, of course, home of the Hoosiers, a storied, a legendary college basketball area, uh, team, uh, school yeah, le- team. Yeah, legendary, the Hoosiers, yeah. The Hoosiers, right. Yeah. Wow, look at you. Exactly. And uh, what did they do? Well, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act did not pass because of the threat of a boycott. Now, this law's already passed. So what do we do? Just wash our hands of it? And, well, I guess next time we'll, we'll fight it. What do we do? If someone can come up with a better uh, solution with a greater level of efficacy, please let us know what it is. But if Hollywood wants to be a leader of the culture, like George Clooney got up one time at the Oscars and talked about how uh, the has been uh, the Hollywood's been on the cutting edge of the civil rights movement and all these all these social justice movements, but then they're going to fund this state that is systematically disenfranchising Americans, Black Americans. I can't get behind that. Well, and I guess that's the that's the dilemma for people like James and people who are in a similar situation 
is based on Jim's email. He said you need to do what hurts their bottom line because that's what's going to make them listen. But how do you do that without putting people who don't have power, like James, in a more terrible situation? That's that's really the the heart of the dilemma. And I it think. is and it is a tough one. It is a tough one. But it is where is the greater harm? Is the greater harm uh, that people might lose some dollars and companies might not do as well, or is the greater harm that? Uh, hundreds of thousands or more black Americans will be disenfranchised a la Jim Crow laws of our past. Are we going to just, oh, well, yeah, racism. Oh, my God, that sucks. Sorry. Or are corporations going to step into the gap and and and, and step in for uh, and advocate for their customers? For their um, their clients, mm-hmm. I, I, for me, it's an easy choice. Um, it doesn't affect me like it does James, of course. Right. But for me, the 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 greater harm is the disenfranchisement of Black Americans. And you know, like I said, it's an easier choice for me because my livelihood's not on the line. Mm-hmm. Further, let me say this. Uh, this is directly to, to, to you, James. And I don't want to seem whiny, but it, it hurts my feelings that someone would call in and say that I'm telling them they're unimportant and irrelevant. Because if I was to take your side, your perspective, and say, no, Hollywood should not leave because people like James might not work or they're, they won't make as much money as they did last year then all of the hundreds of thousands of black Georgians could say to me, you know, it's really odd that you would say what you just said, telling me that I'm unimportant and irrelevant, that my vote is unimportant Mm -hmm. and irrelevant. Mm -hmm. I guess I'm just demonstrating that there is nuance to this Mm -hmm. and, and uh, making a, 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 I'm not making any decisions, but making suggestions that are tough decisions or, or tough suggestions is just that. Anyway, um, as always, this is an open and continuing conversation. We'd love to have your input. We'd love to know what you think. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo or a regular old-fashioned email, just like Jim in Cleveland did, to idoubtit at dollamore.com. All right, moving on. I Doubt It is an independent podcast supported by listeners like you via Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as $2 a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you find the show informative, entertaining, or both, go to dollamore.com slash Patreon and choose the contribution level that's right for you. We would like to thank our two new Patreon supporters, John R. John R. And Henry J. Henry J. Thank you very much to our two new Patreon supporters and all of our Patreon supporters. We very much appreciate you. Whether you give to us on Patreon to help the show going or to help the show keep going. No, no, I like help the show going. (laughs) Or (laughs) Or you just listen to the show or you rate and review us on whatever podcatcher that you listen to the show on, profanity free preferably because... I know 
iTunes won't post it, so others might not as well. What is happening? Something really good is happening. Everything's fine. (laughs) So thank you to everybody who supports the show. You're actually like using your hands in a weird... I know. know. Everything started to get really weird. (laughs) And then it just continued that way. So anyway, thank you. We very much appreciate your support. And we love you guys. (laughs) We do love you guys. <laughs> that is a great way to end the break. Yes. Stalemocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So let's cover a little bit of follow-up before we move on. Those two things of follow-up would be the Derek Chauvin trial. Mm-hmm. And this situation with Matt Gates. Mm-hmm. which is spiraling out of control. Not looking good for him. Yeah, one looks pretty good, the Derek Chauvin trial. Looks pretty likely, unless there's some rogue juror, it's looking pretty good for a conviction, I really hope. And then the other one is also looking pretty good for a conviction <laughs> against Matt Gates. Yeah. Um, but as far as the the the, the, the trial of Derek Chauvin, uh, Chauvin in the murder of George Floyd. Uh, The reason I think it's looking good is the fact that they're having not only regular citizens, but also municipal employees um, testifying to their expertise. Mm -hmm. Uh, In this case, it is the medical expert, a medical expert who's just laying down some irrefutable testimony. Today's testimony at the trial of former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin centered on the perspective of medical experts. They spoke of how George Floyd died from a lack of oxygen as as Chauvin knelt on his neck and his back and not from drugs or health issues. Special correspondent Fred DeSam Lazaro has our report. Prosecutors began the ninth day of the Derek Chauvin trial with testimony from pulmonologist Dr. Martin Tobin. A Chicago-based critical care physician and lung specialist, Tobin testified today that shallow breathing led to George Floyd's death. Would you please tell the jury what that opinion or opinions are? Yes, Yes, uh, Mr. Floyd died from a low level of oxygen, and this caused damage to his brain that we see, and it also caused uh, a PEA arrhythmia that caused his heart to stop. Tobin said several main forces led to Floyd's shallow breathing, his prone position, being handcuffed, and pressure from Chauvin's knees placed on Floyd's neck and back. After showing prepared illustrations and photos of the event, Tobin concluded that Chauvin's knee on Floyd's neck caused narrowing of the hypopharynx, a critical area for getting oxygen into the lungs. I want to go to the period of time when Mr. Chauvin was on the back and neck of Mr. Floyd. Yes. Did you see uh, him get off of the back of Mr. Floyd by the nanosecond, by the millisecond, by any seconds in the nine minutes and 29 seconds that you saw him on? No, I did not. Tobin testified that Chauvin's knee remained on Floyd's neck another three minutes and two seconds after George Floyd took his last breath. You can see his eyes, he's conscious, and then you see that he isn't. That's the moment the life goes out of his body. 
The defense has argued Floyd died due to poor health and drugs in his system, but prosecutors tried to undercut that argument today. Dr. Daniel Eisenschmidt, a forensic toxicologist with a private company that analyzed Floyd's autopsy, testified that the levels of methamphetamine and fentanyl in Floyd's system were not a factor in his death. That finding was supported both by Tobin earlier and the day's final witness, Kentucky police surgeon Dr. Bill Smock. For the PBS NewsHour, this is Fred DeSam Lazaro. So Dr. Bill Smock that they talked about at the end there also said that he didn't see signs of George Floyd having a fentanyl overdose. He said, quote, he's breathing, he's talking, he's not snoring. He's saying, please, please get off of me. I can't breathe. That's not a fentanyl overdose. That's someone begging to breathe. And you have multiple experts that are testifying and saying the same thing, that it was not drugs that caused George Floyd's death, but it was the police. Yeah, I also like when they're given testimony and they don't even when under cross-examination by the by the defense and they're trying to give some kind of an iota of doubt to the jury that these they're just given so, rock solid answers of like no no it absolutely was not there's no doubt in their minds they're just giving it's just I don't know. I'm I'm very impressed. I'm I'm really hoping that, like I said earlier, there's not some rogue juror who wants to, you know, all lives matter. This bullshit. Mm -hmm. Well, and another expert, a forensic pathologist, Dr. Lindsay Thomas, also testified, and she said that, uh, "quote Mr. Floyd was in a position because of the subdual restraint and compression where he was unable to get enough oxygen in his body to maintain." body functions. She said that physiological stress could be considered a secondary mechanism of his death after the primary mechanism of asphyxia, but that both were caused by the police officers who pinned him to the ground. So you have multiple experts who are getting on the stand saying the exact same thing. Yeah, it is. It's telling, too, because some of the video that they've played, uh, like body cam footage of the other officers saying, hey, should we you know, he was the senior guy on the scene, so they have to follow his lead. You mean Derek Chauvin? Derek was the Chauvin. Senior. He was mm-hmm. the senior guy, and they're asking him, "Should we like maybe roll him over on his side?" And Chauvin's just defiant. No, no, he's fine. Mm-hmm. Well, and that that was kind of a key statement for me that this Doctor Thomas shared when she said, "Quote: There's no evidence to suggest he would have died that night, except for the interactions with law enforcement." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that really drives the point home. I mean, the defense is trying to act as though he was on the edge of death when he happened yeah. to, when he happened to cross paths with Derek Chauvin, and that's just not apparent in the video it's it's not yeah. evident anywhere also if you know anything about even if you have an, an elementary understanding of of fentanyl it is that is a powerful seizing your rest if you were to overdose on fentanyl you're not like oh man i think i'm having an overdose of fentanyl you're it's like morphine you're you're asleep and then you you stop breathing it's not a it's like a, a high-powered, insane depressant. Well, that's what Dr. Bill Smock was getting at. Yeah, when he yeah. was talking about this is someone who's breathing and talking. That's not an overdose. It's not a fentanyl overdose. Which the defense is, I mean, just, it's bananas. It is, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a futile task they have ahead of them that they're just desperate to try to make work and save some, like I said, rogue juror 
I don't know how this is going to go down any other way. Well, you but did, a conviction. You did reference that there is some sort of all lives matter uh, juror. There was someone who did say that they believe like all lives matter, but when when these types who are the blue lives matter people and they're you know rah rah cops, but then they're parading different witnesses in front of them that are current current employees of the police department saying. Yeah, he did not follow protocol. He did not follow regulation. He wasn't following the rules. This is not policy. I just don't see how they're going to come away from that with a, yeah, well, it was the fentanyl. He was doing his job. They're just on all points. That it's, it's a, and look, I'm no legal expert and haven't followed all the trials, but it seems like a very well put together case by a prosecution team, so. Uh, again, we'd love to know what you think. 657-464-7609. I doubt it at dollamore.com. Matt Gates, Train wreck extraordinaire. Matt Gates, who is now on like a speaking tour, going down to Doral, Donald Trump's golf course, and giving speeches to crowds about how this is a witch hunt. They're out to get me. It's just, <laughs> it's brazen. It's... The balls on this guy. One of of those deals. I mean, it's kind of just following the playbook, though, right? The Trump playbook? Yeah, this is typical. Leaning into it. Yeah, most people, I mean, save for the guys who get accused and then come out and say, uh, you know, I've heard you and I've learned my lesson. You know, I finally understand how I I should be treating women. I now know. Yeah. Two weeks ago, I had no idea. Yeah. This is is, that you couldn't uh, force a woman to watch you jerk off. But now, oh, all of a sudden... My eyes have have been opened. The scales have fallen. (laughs) Or I think it was Nick Kroll at the Spirit Awards who said that uh, you finally understand that you can't run fully erect at a woman with hate in your eyes or something like that. Um, Those apologies. It's either those kinds of apologies or just like a flat out, this never happened. This is a witch hunt. People are coming after me. This is my private life. I never did anything wrong. Yeah, but he's not even in that defense mode where, no, these are just lies. He's like taking taking on an offensive role, attacking other people now. Oh, I hadn't seen that. Oh, yeah. It's it's anyway. So the latest is that um, Joel Greenberg, who was the tax collector for Seminole County and a good buddy with with Matt Gates, it looks like he's going to flip. It looks like he's going to testify and provide information to the prosecution about Matt Gates for a better deal. He was in a position to plead guilty, and now it looks like, or to plead not guilty, but now it looks like he's going to plead guilty and turn state's witness or whatever. Well, you're saying that it looks like that. I think experts, people who... Uh, are reporting on the case are saying that it's likely because he will want to get a lesser charge. He will want to try to make a deal for himself. So I don't know if it's likely based on reporting that he has been saying that he's going to provide information or if people are saying it's likely only because he's in such a terrible position and could potentially get a better deal if he gives some information on Matt Gates. Yeah, the New York Times headline is indicted Matt Gates associate is expected to plead guilty, lawyers say. The indication of a potential cooperation deal came as investigators were also examining a trip from uh, by Mr. Gates to the Bahamas and whether he discussed running a so-called 
ghost candidate in local race. Anyway, yeah, so it is, it's speculation, but um, Joel Greenberg's attorney came out and did like a 20-minute presser on the sidewalk in front of the courthouse and certainly didn't deny it. It's being floated out there. In fact, it was bizarre. I've got audio of it. But the first thing I want to talk about is just all of the... It's not looking good for him. Now, the the Venmo, there's like all these Venmo transactions that have been uncovered, um, pointing to him paying. It just... It is a mess. Tonight, a key figure in the federal sex trafficking investigation swirling around Republican Congressman Matt Gates is expected to strike a plea deal with prosecutors. Our senior justice correspondent, Evan Perez, is working the story for us. Uh, Evan, walk us through what happened in court today. It was very dramatic, very powerful. Why Joel Greenberg's attorney said, and I'm quoting him now, I'm sure Matt Gates is not feeling very comfortable today. Yeah, well, well, this was a status hearing for Joel Greenberg, who is a county official down there in the Orlando area. He's facing a a number of charges, including uh, sex trafficking, uh, harassing a a political appointment, wire fraud. And more importantly, he knows a lot about Matt Gates. According uh, to to sources we've talked to, the two of them were involved uh, with a number of instances where Greenberg helped arrange for women to travel to have sex with uh, Congressman Gates. And so the the idea that Greenberg, uh, according to his lawyer, is working on making a plea agreement with the government and perhaps, perhaps, we don't know for sure, but perhaps might be able to tell the government more about what he knows, well, that raises a lot of questions. Here's uh, Greenberg's lawyer addressing that. I think that uh, Mr. Greenberg, if he accepts a plea, or a plea agreement, um, that uh, one, it will show his sense of remorse, which he does have, and his sense of acceptance of responsibility. Um, Number two, I think uh, he's he's uniquely situated. I'm sure Matt Gaetz is not feeling very comfortable today. And I think that's an understatement, Wolf, uh, with that development, as you heard. And, and look, I think it's very common in, when you make a plea agreement that the government expects you to provide some cooperation in exchange for agreeing, uh, for supporting perhaps a, a lighter sentence. That's so significant, a very dramatic moment. Indeed, uh, you're also learning, Evan, uh, that federal investigators are looking into a trip that Congressman Gates made to the Bahamas and whether women were paid to travel for sex uh, with him and others. What are you hearing from your sources. Right, Wolf. Well, that is where federal law comes in and where uh, possible sex trafficking, prostitution laws may have been violated. What we understand from talking to sources is that uh, the government, the the theory that investigators are pursuing is that uh, Congressman Gates benefited from uh, these these trips as well as uh, arrangements for women to have sex with him in exchange for political favors, not only from Greenberg, but from other men, from other people uh, other political figures I- in Florida. There are a number of people that are uh, at the center of this very, very big and growing investigation, Wolf. And this trip to the Bahamas uh, in the last uh, year or so uh, is among the things that investigators uh, are looking into. Again, the idea that 
the congressman uh, would go to travel somewhere and for these women uh, to be provided would be for, for them to be traveling uh, to have sex with him is among the things uh, that would be a violation of federal law. Again, one of the things that the congressman is under scrutiny for is potentially having a relationship with a girl who was only 17 at the time, but there were many other women who uh, allegedly are part of this. And then the other part of this that I thought they were going to get to, I, I, I guess they didn't, obviously they didn't, is that the Daily Beast just reported last night that they've reviewed Venmo transactions of both Greenberg and Gates, and there was transactions where Matt Gates paid Greenberg $900 and said... This is for blank, naming someone's nickname. Hit up blank. Hit up blank. And then the very next morning, Greenberg pays out that exact dollar amount to certain people, uh, young girls, women, some 18, like teenagers. Um, all evidence that I've seen is that at the time, they were adults. Like the, the, this one girl was 18 at the time. And who knows what kind of transactions in the past went on? We don't know. But um, it's not looking good when when he pays out these amounts and says it's for tuition and school and school. It just I mean, how much coincidence could there be that these transactions happen one right after the other with these two skeevy fox? And just to make it a little clear, because I think it got a little convoluted or maybe I just stopped listening. No, no, no. Um, Just say you didn't explain it well. Well, (laughs) Whatever may have happened, happened. So uh, Matt Gates paid Greenberg uh, hit up blank a certain amount of money mm-hmm. on Venmo with the memo hit up blank um, and sent $900. And this was late at night in May 2018. And the next morning, over the course of eight minutes, Greenberg used Venmo to send three young women various amounts of money that totaled $900. Yeah. And in his descriptions in the memo, he wrote tuition, school, and school. Yeah. So Matt Gates sending a specific amount of money saying hit up blank, and then the blank is actually the nickname of a girl, but the Daily Beast is not naming the the actual name because she was a teenager, had only turned 18 less than six months before. So and they're not naming. They are, they're keeping, they've identified her. They know who she is. Yeah. And they've tied her to that nickname, but they're just being decent about not outing her. Right. And yeah. then the next day, Joel Greenberg turns around and sends that exact amount yeah, of yeah, money yeah. to three young women. That's far more detailed than I was, Brittany. You're right. So I've seen, I saw a funny tweet today where, you know that Chris D'Elia, he's the comedian, I don't know if that's how you say his name, but he was the comedian who... He's been accused of of, uh, soliciting uh, underage pornography and soliciting sex from minors. Accused. Okay. Yeah. And he was... Allegedly. He was doing an interview where he found out that Snapchat messages don't actually disappear. That you can get a screenshot of them. Yeah. Yeah. And his face was just horrified. (laughs) Where you could just tell his whole life was flashing before his eyes. I've seen that. Oh my God. So it was a screenshot of his face when he found that out. And the tweet said, uh, this is Matt Gates learning that Venmo uh, payment history is public. (laughs) (laughs) I don't understand why people... 
Like, I use Venmo, but all my transactions are private. Not like I'm doing anything untoward, but even if it's, you know, here's the money for dinner, I don't need everybody knowing uh-huh. all of that. Why would anybody want that public? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's the fun of it. Well, people put little emojis and, you know, here's paying you back for this. And I don't need to show everybody all the eggplants that I'm putting as the emoji for all the payments. You know what I'm saying? Sure. (laughs) Sure. I just don't understand the the I, I wouldn't say obsession, but the the interest in having all of your deets just out there for everybody to, mm-hmm. oh, they went to tacos last night. I, I don't know. Nobody <laughs> know, needs to know that. Yeah. And then, very funny, that is certainly his reaction. Because now, the Daily Beast is reporting that n- none of these accounts are, they've either been deleted or the history has been turned private. Mm. So, not a shocker there. Anyway, the, the other thing I want to talk about related to this was Fritz Scheller, who is the attorney for Joel Greenberg, he gave this 20-minute presser and see, where do they find these guys? Where do they find these eccentric weirdos to represent them? Because listen to this when he's asked about should Matt Gates be worried right now? Does Matt Gates have anything to worry about? Does Matt Gates... That is such a... <laughs> Um, does when he it comes any, to what happened today in court, does he uh, have anything to worry about? And you're asking me to get into the mind of Matt Gates, right? And uh, well, from your mind, from my mind, based on what your client knows, based on what my client knows. Okay. See, I thought if I kept on talking and talking, <laughs> I would avoid these questions <laughs> and, and not to say. Um, I'm sure Matt Gates is not feeling very comfortable today. All right. See, I don't know if he's doing like a Columbo thing where he's acting feckless and has no idea what's going on around him. And he's just stumbling through repeating their questions to them, mm-hmm. knowing that when he gets to the end of this, he's going to say something om- ominous like, yeah, I don't think uh, Matt Gates is real comfortable today because mm-hmm. that's got to be. Ugh. Yeah. I mean, who knows with attorneys? Am I right? Yes, y- you are right. No offense to the attorneys in the audience who are loyal listeners. I think a lot of attorneys would admit they've got a lot of skeevy, dirty, low-down colleagues. Not you. Not you, lovely listener with a law degree who practices ethically. But a lot of your colleagues are probably pieces of work. Am I right? I'm not hearing a response. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. So anyway, that's where we are with that. We'd love to know what you think. You guys know the number. If it's not already programmed in your phone, correct that. 657-464-7609. I'll give you a minute to rewind your podcatcher. 15 seconds. I will say the number one more time. 657-464-7609. Email idoubtit at dollamore.com. Now, let's get into a little politics. So Joe Biden gave a speech announcing new executive actions on gun control. And this clip that we're going to play is kind of a it's not the whole speech. (laughs) It is a we would not put you through that. We would not. It is a mashup of the uh, steps that he's wanting to take and also the priorities that he's lining out as he continues his efforts when it really where it relates to gun control. So when you say mashup, it's kind of like the. All the moments from the speech where he addressed these specific things about gun control. Correct. Because he's, 
it's not like this part of the speech was dedicated to guns. This part was dedicated to whatever else. He just kind of, he meandered a little bit. Yeah. Today we're taking steps to confront not just the gun crisis, but what is actually a public health crisis. Nothing, nothing I'm about to recommend in any way impinges on the Second Amendment. They're phony arguments. I asked the Attorney General and his team to identify for me immediate, concrete actions I could take now without having to go through the Congress. And today I'm announcing several initial steps my administration is taking to curb this epidemic of gun violence. Much more need be done, but the first, first, want to rein in the proliferation of so-called ghost guns. They have no serial numbers, so when they show up at a crime scene, they can't be traced. And the buyers aren't required to pass a background check to buy the kit. With online sales and ghost guns, times and trafficking methods have changed, and we have to adjust. We also have to ask the Justice Department to release a new annual report. This report will better help policymakers address firearms trafficking as it is today. We want to treat pistols modified with stabilizing braces with the seriousness they deserve. A stabilizing brace hook and a pencil essentially makes that pistol a hell of a lot more accurate and a mini rifle. As a result, it's more lethal, effectively turning into a short-barreled rifle. Fourthly, during my campaign for president, I wanted to make it easier for states to adopt extreme risk protection order laws. They're also called red flag laws. These laws allow a police or family member to petition a court in their jurisdiction and say, I want you to temporarily remove from the following people any firearm they may possess because they're a danger and a crisis. They're presenting a danger to themselves and to others. And the court makes a ruling. I asked the Justice Department to publish a model red flag legislation so states can start crafting their own laws right now. They've offered plenty of thoughts and prayers, members of Congress, but they've passed not a single new federal law to reduce gun violence. Enough prayers. Time for some action. I believe the Senate should immediately pass three House-passed bills to close loopholes that allow gun purchases, purchasers to bypass the background checks. The only industry in America, a billion-dollar industry, that can't be sued, has exempt from being sued, are gun manufacturers. But this is the only outfit that is exempt from being sued. If I get one thing on my list, the Lord came down and said, Joe, you get one of these? Give me that one. We should also ban assault weapons and high-capacity magazines in this country. There's no reason someone needs a weapon of war with 100 rounds, 100 bullets that can be fired. And three, reauthorize the Violence Against Human Act, which in so-called close the boyfriend and stalking loopholes to keep guns out of the hands of people found by a court to be an abuser and continuing threat. We have so many people dying every single day from gun violence in America. It's a blemish on our character as a nation. 
Let me say to all of you, God bless you, but most importantly, the memory of all many of you have lost to the senseless gun violence. So I think largely that is all great. I do want to fact check one thing. So uh, President Biden claimed that, quote, the only industry in America, a billion dollar industry that can't be sued, has been exempt from being sued are gun manufacturers. And this is not true. Uh, Gun manufacturers are not entirely exempt from being sued, nor are they the only industry with some liability protections. And this is according to reporting from CNN. Under the 2005 Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, gun manufacturers cannot be held liable for the use of their products in a crime. However, gun manufacturers can still be held liable for and thus sued for a range of things, including negligence, breach of contract regarding the purchase of a gun, or certain damages from defects in the design of a gun. Yeah, also, there are other industries that have been exempted from lawsuits in certain areas, like that was part of the COVID stimulus thing, was that Republicans wanted, like grocery stores, for instance, to have immunity from being sued by their employees for putting them in danger. Mm-hmm. And there are industries that that get a sweetheart deal. Uh, vaccine manufacturers cannot be held liable in a civil suit for damages yeah, yeah. from vaccine-related injury or death. There are certainly others, mm-hmm. yeah. So anyway, listen, um, I wouldn't call this ambitious, But in America, when nothing gets done, no steps are taken, no progress is made, any progress is a good thing. We should all expect more. And I'm not saying settle, like, oh, I guess we'll just take what we can get. But when some progress is made, when it finally is made, we haven't seen it yet, but when it does get made, let's be thankful for what we get Take the W and then push ahead for more progress on this issue. Mm-hmm. If anything could be done to save lives, there was a two mass shootings yesterday. Come on. Well, and I know you tweeted Jesse about Lauren Bobert because yeah, she had something to ding dong. She had something to say about this. What did she say? She said uh, the the Second Amendment is absolute. And anyone who says otherwise is a tyrant. And so the reason she said that is because Joe Biden said no amendment to no amendment to Constitution is absolute. That is right. Which is backed up by the Supreme Court. She's just. She is a bomb thrower. She is. um, She's a less smart Sarah Palin, especially on this issue, because in the in the the case D.C. versus Heller, the majority opinion was was penned by Antonin Scalia, no right winger or no left winger, no leftist, no progressive, no liberal, and he wrote in the decision, like this is on fifth page fifty four of the decision, like most rights, the right secured by the Second Amendment is not unlimited. Mm-hmm. Antonin Scalia said that. So shut the fuck up, Lauren Bobert. Well, I think she's just worried about her Skype background. Like, what is she going to do? <laughs> you know, she's well, going to have to create a whole new deal. I mean, maybe she can get some of your bookshelves. You know? Know, she could just get airsoft rifles. <laughs> <laughs> they just don't look as ominous. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's I think that's the way to go. But we definitely progress on this. And listen, I don't know how much teeth. Um, an executive order is going to have how much because Biden is reticent 
to to really use the pen in executive order. He's he's being a wuss about it relative to student uh, loans. He's well, he's he, he's creating uh, a panel of people to look into that, just like he's creating um, a panel of people to look at whether or not it would be a good idea to add seats to the Supreme Court. Oh, that's right. He is doing that. It's, oh, it's a 180-day study of whether or not that is something that, that could or should be done. And remember, he has not said whether he supports right, altering right, the right. size of the court or making other changes. It's another wuss moment. One thing that's disappointing about this, though, and this is reporting from the New York Times, quote, it is not clear that the commission established by Mr. Biden will itself clarify his position. Under the White House, <laughs> under the White House order establishing it, the commission is not set to issue specific recommendations at mm, the end of its study. Perfect. An outcome that is likely to disappoint activists. Well, let me, let me, um, since I am the the arbiter of good decisions and uh, answers about things, definitive answers, Brittany Page from earlier, it's a callback that you're not acknowledging right now as you look whatever up that you're looking up. Uh huh. Um, let me. I can. I can cut to the chase right now. But will you? I will right now. Okay. One. Yes. No. No. One. <laughs> you can. It can be done. Expanding the court is authorized under the Constitution because the Constitution gives Congress the power to organize the courts. And two, yes, it is a good idea. Well. It is said. Are you going to be one of the 36 members on the commission? Make it so. Isn't that Star (laughs) Star Trek thing? Make it so. Um, Because the commission is going to be examining the history of the court, past changes to the process of nominating justices, and the potential consequences to altering the size of the court. See, that is something that I could see studying. The potential consequences. Yeah, but the history of the... We have to look at the history of the court. The court hasn't always been nine members. (laughs) The court has fluctuated in size throughout the period of our of our country. Uh-huh. So just come the fuck on. Just get on with it. We have a 6-3 conservative majority, and we will have for a generation. Get over yourself and do it. Well, hopefully... Uh... Not so tired anymore, Brittany Page. <laughs> I know. Look at you. All fired up. We're over an hour in. <laughs> What else is what else is President Biden up to? He's, oh, up to? he's up to something else. You know what else he's up to? Uh, putting forward a $753 billion defense budget. Wait larger a minute. Larger than Donald Trump. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Nearly 2% larger than Donald Trump's last year. Wait remember, a minute. Remember when Don... Remember... When Donald Trump was, I'm doing the greatest the military has ever seen. It's going to be great. The the world's never seen anything like this. I don't know why. He's Marlon Brando all of a sudden. Um, And now Joe Biden's beating him. Joe Biden is going to... Winning. $753 billion defense budget which is a like almost 2% increase. And you know what? It should be decreased by 20 to 50%. Who... Get how, the how, fuck out of here. But how are we going to pay for that? Yeah, no, you don't hear any Republicans saying that. Oh, $2,000 checks was too much. Oh, we got to give you 1400 everybody. But $753 billion for a year defense budget is, that's ah, okay. No problem. Mm-hmm. Not how 
are we gonna pay for it? Oh, we're saddling our children with this debt. No one's saying that. <laughs> Fucking Red Bull. <laughs> <laughs> I knew this would happen. I knew it. Anyway, again, we're gonna drop the number. We're gonna keep dropping it. Like it's hot, the number. Okay, it's I think it's starting to Too much. It's starting to be too much. All right. Yeah. We want to rein it back in. All right, all right. I got it. Can you go back to feeling depressed? Here's the phone number. (laughs) 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo on uh, the smooth storm. (laughs) I doubt it at dollamore.com. Going back to your Yacht Rock roots, are you? Yacht Rock roots. Um, So that's it. I'm happy with Biden in some areas. Unhappy with him in others. Generally, I think I'm... Stab meh, you know? Yeah. Meh. You know what? Can I just say, I've been consuming a lot of Hunter Biden media. I'm glad you, you ended that with media. Um, Too much? I mean, this Red Bull, I don't know what's gotten into you. So I've been consuming a lot of Hunter Biden media. Well, he's everywhere right now because he's, he's hawking a book. He's promoting a book. And I really enjoyed him on Mark Maron's podcast. Some of the interviews I've seen with him made me a little uncomfortable, quite frankly. When, the Jimmy Kimmel one? Yeah, when talking about um, his struggles with addiction, it just seemed to be a little too jokey. Glorification on, almost. On matters of life and death. Yeah. And, I mean, I know that there are (laughs) uh, controversial opinions out there about Hunter Biden, even for progressives, by the way. Uh, I've seen progressives mock him. Can I say this about that? uh Because we've got friends who are critical of him, who mock him, and uh, I don't like it. The guy is an addict. He has a disease. And... um, a little bit of kindness. Now, look, I know he's a, ch- a child of privilege and everything else, but that doesn't exempt him from the the ravages of the disease of addiction, which may still kill him. Yeah, and that's what was that's what really stood out to me about Mark Maron's interview. Obviously, Mark Maron is in recovery, and he spoke from a place of experience in care and concern for Hunter Biden and how new his sobriety is and how he's continuing to relive his experiences and addiction over and over again, not only in writing the book, but now in going out in these interviews and talking about it. And that can be very triggering, especially for someone who is still in the early stages of recovery. So Mark Marin expressed concern for him, wanting him to take care of himself. And at the end, offered him his phone number to reach out if he ever needed anything, which I thought was really cool. I love Mark Marin, so I... <laughs> which, by the way, is a turnaround for you. I don't think you never not... You did not like him. Yeah. You never disliked him. That's double negatives were twisting my brain. Well, what happened was we went to see him live in L.A. At the comedy store. Yeah, he just happened to be one of the comedians that was... And we happened to be in the front row, like idiots as requested by someone that we were attending the show with yeah that's not something that we would choose ourselves just so everyone knows and mark Marin came out and stood right into my face stared right into my face for a lengthy amount of time Uh, too much an uncomfortable amount of time but i was too afraid to look weak and make myself a target. Yeah. So I just stared right back at him. And there we were, face to face, just 
locked eye contact for an uncomfortable amount of time. And then he just stopped and continued to show and didn't ever say anything to me. And I was like, oh, my God, I passed. Whatever test that was, I passed. whatever test it was, I passed. (laughs) But I think in that moment, something changed and I was hypnotized. And it took a while before you started liking his show. Well, I was it was an immediate like, oh, all of a sudden I'm a fangirl. I was trying to tell this fantastic story. And here you are ruining it with reality. Perfect. Yeah. It did it did take a while, but now I love him. So if you are looking for a compassionate uh, take on Hunter Biden, I would go listen to the interview that he did with Hunter Biden on his show. Absolutely. All right. Well, we got a, we got a treat for you today. It is a three-way asshole of today. It's the asshole of today. John Boehner, Tucker Carlson, and Texas. Yes. John Boehner. All for different reasons. John Boehner also recently wrote a book, a memoir. Yeah. And he is, I haven't seen him anywhere promoting it, but there's a lot of talk about it because he's telling some stories about the Republican Party. There was a time when John Boehner tread lightly when it came to Donald Trump. The president uh, is probably the most unique person that we've had as president. Uh, But the fact is, he's president. Consider that chapter closed. In the former House Speaker's new book, On the House, Boehner rips into the former president, accusing Trump of inciting the January 6th attack on the Capitol, quote, perpetuated by the bullshit he'd been shoveling since he lost a fair election. And he skewers Trump for being petty and bullying. Boehner writes of a time he went golfing with Trump before Trump ran for president. An aide to Boehner, he writes, mistakenly introduced their two golf partners by the wrong names. At the end of the round, when Trump found out he'd been calling the two men by the wrong names the entire time, Boehner writes Trump got into Boehner's aide's face. Quote, Trump shouted, what are you, some kind of idiot? You want to know how to remember somebody's name? You effing listen. That example of the golf outing really shows the contrast between the two men in terms, at least, of temperament. President Trump was mercurial, uh, undisciplined, immature, self-centered. A Trump spokesman responded to Boehner's accounts by calling Boehner a, quote, swamp creature and suggested Boehner's criticism was motivated by his business ties to China. Boehner writes that he once told then-Senate Democratic leader Harry Reid to go F himself at a White House meeting. He recalls an incident where fellow Republican Congressman Don Young got so angry with Boehner over Boehner's criticism of earmarks that Young held a 10-inch knife to Boehner's throat just off the House floor. Young told Politico Boehner's account is mostly true. In the book excerpts, John Boehner shows a particular detestation of Texas Republican Senator Ted Cruz, who Boehner had already spoken derisively about for years. In the book, discussing the rise of the Tea Party while he was Speaker and younger Republicans who were less interested in cutting deals with Democrats, Boehner writes, There is nothing more dangerous than a reckless a-hole who thinks he is smarter than everyone else. Ladies and gentlemen, meet Senator Ted Cruz. What he detested about Senator Cruz was this dramatic... Uh, histrionic style that wasn't about legislating, but about scoring points in the media. And eventually, that is what led Boehner to move away. 
We reached out to Senator Ted Cruz's office for a response to Boehner's book. They referred us to a tweet from Senator Cruz implying that Boehner is obsessed with Cruz. Cruz did joke about Boehner's criticisms of him at a conservative conference in February, asking an audience, who's John Boehner? Wolf. So here's, here's why he's the asshole of today, one of the three assholes of today, and that is the fact that timing matters. So if you say... Yeah, Donald Trump is probably the most unique blah, blah, blah. But the fact is, he's president. That's what you say when he's president. And then as soon as he leaves, you pop up your head and go, yeah, the fuck that guy. He was crazy. It's worthless. It's meaningless. Who cares? When it mattered, you were silent, you coward. Well, and when are we going to stop giving these people some semblance of redemption? In the aftermath of them failing to do what they should have done. That's right. It's a moral failure. And now you're trying to sell books. You're trying to make money. When it's tough, you're silent. When it's easy, you're going to cash that check. Shut the fuck up. Nobody cares what you have to say. Wine-swilling John Boehner. On the cover of the book. Have you seen the cover? He's got this giant goblet of wine. Like a, like a, it's like a whole bottle poured into a glass. And it's, uh. One for the road, or whatever the fuck the name of the book is. Hmm. It's just, uh, it's 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 a bit much, Brittany. It's a bit much. Sounds like it. Speaking of a bit much. Tucker Carlson is a white supremacist. Uh, yeah. And really, he's not even making allusions to any other thing. I mean, he's he's out. He's He's... Openly, actively talking about the great replacement theory. Saying, you know, people are going to say that I'm talking about the great replacement theory. While he's talking about the great replacement theory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and the great replacement theory is a white supremacist talking point. A conspiracy theory that refers to issues of immigration. Issues of birth rates. Basically, essentially, that white people are being replaced by non-white people. Right. It's Demographically, also, but also culturally. Also known as uh, white genocide. White genocide, yeah. correct. And Tucker Carlson finally took the step on his show of directly using the word replacement. I'm laughing because this is one of about 10 stories that I know you've covered um, where the government shows preference to people who have shown absolute contempt for our customs, our laws, Mm. our system itself, and they're being treated better than American citizens. Now, I know that the left and all the little gatekeepers on Twitter become literally hysterical if you use the term replacement, if you suggest that the Democratic Party is trying to replace the current electorate, the voters now casting ballots, with new people, more obedient voters from the third world. But they become hysterical because that's, that's what's happening, actually. Let's just say it. That's mm. true. Mm. If, if, look, mm. if this was happening in your house, if you were in sixth grade, for example, and without telling you, your, kid, your parents adopted a bunch of new siblings and gave them brand new bikes and let them stay up later and help them with their homework and gave them twice the allowance that they gave you, you would say to your siblings, you know, I think we're being replaced by by kids that our parents love more. And it would be kind of hard to argue against you because look at the evidence. So this matters on a bunch of different levels, but on the most basic level, it's a voting rights question. In a democracy, one person equals one vote. If you change the population, you dilute the political power of the people who live there. 
So every time they import a new voter, I become disenfranchised as a current <laughs> voter. So oh I don't understand, my God. understand this. I mean, everyone wants to make a racial issue out of it. Ooh, the you know white replacement theory. No, no, no. This is a voting rights question. I have less political power because they're importing a brand new electorate. Why should I sit back and take that? The power that I have yeah. as an American guaranteed at birth is one man, one vote, and they're diluting it. No, they're not allowed to do that. Why are we putting up with this? It's funny. It's, it's not a racial thing, but he's evoking third world nations. Right. He's not talking about Norway. He's not talking about Sweden. He's talking about third world countries by his own mouth. And really... Until the end there, he was really convincing me when he's he's using a metaphor to, to, to boil <laughs> it down and starts talking about sixth grade. Oh, I was yeah. just like, wow, wow, this really makes sense to me. You were sitting there thinking, this is why he's paid the big bucks. You, you, you know, it makes who, a lot of sense. You know who that convinces people with sixth grade educations? It's the low information audience that's like, wow, Tucker Carlson's making a. Rock solid argument, y'all. Well, what's strange to me, and this is a realization that I've only had in in recent months, I used to have so much shame and fear speaking publicly about having been raised in a white supremacist household with uh, swastika tattoos on one of my parents and uh, Hitler pictures in the house and all all the stuff. Um, But... What I am learning is that the exact same tenets that I was raised with in that white supremacist household are mainstream talking points on Tucker Carlson's show, the yeah. highest rated show on Fox News, the in, highest rated show on cable In television. the history of Fox News, the most popular program they've ever aired and, is Tucker Carlson. And so that, that's been a pretty disturbing realization for me to have. This idea that I thought I was in this unique situation being raised with these ideas, but these ideas are so widespread. I mean, here's Tucker Carlson talking about something that I was raised to believe. Well, he's he's chief among media people is normalizing them. Yes. And uh, the Anti-Defamation League CEO, Jonathan Greenblatt, tweeted... That the replacement theory, quote, is a white supremacist tenant that the white race is in danger by a rising tide of non-whites. It is anti-Semitic, racist, and toxic. It has informed the ideology of mass shooters in El Paso, Christchurch, and Pittsburgh. Tucker must go. So directly connecting it, and rightfully so, to several high-profile mass murders that have happened in recent years that were motivated by this kind of ideology, by this kind of thinking. And, you know, it's not just the the violent extremists that we hear about shooting up synagogues and churches and these maniacs. It's also your mainstream white supremacist leaders like David Duke and Richard Spencer, who have both gone on the record and said, Tucker's great. Tucker is great because he says the things with a suit and tie on that we always and we've been pressing and we've been trying to convince America of. But he's getting traction. He's saying the things and taking the heavy load and the heavy work away from us. He's getting the job done. Mm -hmm. And he is. Right. He is responsible for radicalizing many of your family members that you've written in and called in about being so frustrated with when you have holidays with. Tucker Carlson. And that's because he does it in a suit and tie and he's not waving a swastika flag. So people think it is more acceptable. It's more palatable. Yeah. 
But it's the same thing. It's the same toxic hate, racism. It's terrible. Dangerous. All right. And the third asshole of today. Texas. Texas. So uh, Texas uh, state court system is signaling that it will no longer enforce a federal order aimed at stopping evictions during the coronavirus pandemic. Now, this has been a very frustrating few months for those of us who work in the field of helping other people navigate this system and try to stay in their apartments, in their homes, particularly related to the CDC. And I tweeted this a few days ago because two days before the end of the month in March, the CDC announced that they were extending the eviction moratorium until the end of June. Which doesn't give anybody time. Everybody has to scramble. Lawyers and tenants alike have to scramble to get something done. And it's frustrating for Brittany because it's not the it's not the only it's not like this was the one time they waited to the last minute. It's what is consistently done by all government agencies. Rather than just give a blanket moratorium until like September, they go a month or two months and then they wait to extend it until the very last moment. That's what it's been. It's been incremental extensions for the CDC eviction moratorium. And then they decide to extend it for like two more months, three more months with two days left in the month. And so that leads to a lot of instability for people that are living in fear that they're going to be forced out of their homes. And the CDC eviction moratorium offers some comfort, some protection. But the unfortunate thing is, is that landlords are still finding loopholes around the CDC eviction moratorium. And states like Texas are not doing tenants any favors. They're they're helping landlords. They are creating a situation where people are going to be homeless. Texas appears to be clearing the way for a wave of evictions. The court system in the state is signaling that it will no longer enforce a federal order aimed at stopping evictions, which could mean a lot of people are about to lose their homes. Here's NPR's Chris Arnold. The timing of this could be particularly painful for a lot of families. Congress has approved billions of dollars to help people pay the rent that they owe to avoid eviction, but that money is just starting to flow, and very few people in Texas have received it. And so it's looking like many could get thrown out of their homes with no place to go when that doesn't have to happen. It's devastating because we're just starting to get on our feet. Christiane Doherty lives outside Dallas. She's 60 years old and fell behind on rent after losing her job as an IT consultant after COVID hit. She says her adult son lost his job at a restaurant and the two of them moved in together just to survive. She's now found another job, but this past Friday, a judge ruled that her landlord could evict her. This would just kill me. I'm not, I, I'm worried about losing my job because I, I work from home and I'll have no money to go get in a hotel or anything. What's happening is that back in September, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention ordered landlords not to evict people like Doherty if they sign a declaration saying that they have no other good housing options. That's because evictions can spread COVID. And at the time, the Texas Supreme Court told judges to enforce that CDC order. But that statewide directive just expired. And an advisory body to the Texas courts is now telling the judges it's not their job to enforce the CDC's order. We've had a failure of leadership that's going to result in tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of Texans becoming homeless in relatively short order. 
Mark Melton is a partner at a prominent firm in Dallas, and for the past year, he's been running a pro bono team of 175 volunteer lawyers, helping people to try to avoid eviction and stay in their homes. And right now, he says he's scared. I've been sick to my stomach the last four days worrying about this and all of the people that don't even know yet that they're about to be evicted. Even a major landlord group seems a bit baffled by the courts not enforcing the CDC order. David Mintz is a vice president with the Texas Apartment Association. We have asked them to clarify their guidance. We believe that the courts do have the ability to consider CDC declarations that are provided to them. Many landlords may continue to respect the CDC order and give tenants the chance to apply and get rental assistance money. Mark Melton says at least on paper, landlords could still face stiff legal penalties, even jail time for violating the CDC rules, though he says in reality there's been very little enforcement. And he expects many other landlords will start evicting thousands of people. I think we just stepped off a cliff that we really didn't want to step off. Already, Melton's seeing cases where judges are allowing landlords to evict people who had been protected by the CDC's eviction order. People like Christiane Doherty. Melton is helping her appeal, but she's very worried about what's going to happen next. Sometimes I just stay up all night. It just feels like I'm been run over by a truck when I wake up, you know, get up in the morning to start working. Certainly not a great way to start a new job. Housing groups are calling on the state Supreme Court to extend its emergency order to give people like Doherty time to get rental assistance money and stay in their homes. Chris Arnold, NPR News. And this is part of the complication. So Congress has appropriated over $45 billion in housing supports, uh, but that rental assistance has not yet reached the people who need it the most. And when you have states like Texas who are saying that they're not going to be enforcing the CDC declarations that are provided to them, you are going to end up with thousands of people that are being pushed into the street. And And maybe tens of, I mean, the numbers could be catastrophic. Well, yes, because more than 10 million Americans are behind on rent. That tops the 7 million who lost their homes to foreclosure in the 2008 housing bust. So we're looking at, I mean, I don't, I can't even imagine what this is right. going to look like. I, I I, can't even predict that. I'm terrified of what that's going to look like. And this CDC eviction moratorium is going to end June 30th. I, I mean, will they extend it again? I hope, but I don't know. The problem, I mean, there's many, many problems here. One of the problems is the fact that they've, they've allocated tens of billions of dollars, but they're leaving it upon the individual municipalities or states to allocate that money. And States like Texas are just, yeah, we, we don't care to do that. Mm-hmm. We don't care about our our uh, our electorate. We don't care about the people we represent. We're going to throw them to the wolves and let landlords run roughshod over them and their rights in a moment in our history that they need the help the most. Well, and one thing that could be happening here is enforcement for landlords who violate the CDC order. They can potentially face hefty fines and jail time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said little enforcement, he said. Right, but there's been little enforcement. So if that enforcement were to be stepped up and there was actually fear here on the part of landlords for violating the CDC order, then you may see more people staying in their homes, having the opportunity to get access to that rental assistance. Yeah, yeah. 
and start to get on the right track, but they're not being given that chance in places like Texas. Yeah, it's, it's disgusting. Yeah, I wish the word deplorable hadn't been hijacked <laughs> by Hillary Clinton because that's what it is. This is deplorable. And we, we were talking earlier about what would have happened to us if the pandemic had hit... 2011. Yeah, I mean, pick a year. We would have been <laughs> fucked. Not so many years ago. We would have been completely fucked. Yeah, and I think if you, if you think about it in those terms, if you're not someone who's already in a position of struggle, think about a time period where if the pandemic had hit, you may be in a situation facing eviction like the the woman in that clip that they played who at any moment could be removed from her home and is just hoping that she is given the opportunity to have access to that rental assistance to get back on track so that she can keep her job, keep working from home, and get back to where she needs to be. Yeah, listen, just get on Twitter and type in eviction and look at all of the stories of photos of, of single mothers with multiple children who all of their things are just out on the street, kicked out of their home. They are now homeless because of this in states like Texas. So uh, a justified asshole of today, absolutely. Get your shit together, Texas, and start electing people who are going to not do carnage on the citizenry. And let's let's end on a positive note by giving a shout out to all of the activists who work in this area yeah, yeah, yeah. who are going to bat for people and helping to keep people in their homes. Absolutely. Uh, that's all across the country. Mm -hmm. There are some hardworking people, very selfless, who this isn't maybe affecting personally, right? but they're doing the legwork for love of their fellow human beings. Yep. Anyway, we'd love to know what you think about any and all topics. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We would invite you to support the show. You can go to patreon.com slash idoubtitpodcast. Every little bit goes a long way. $2 a month, if we were able to marshal the size of our audience, could really help us expand and uh, do some creative things that we have yet to do or yet been able to do. Uh, we'll see you next time. We love you guys. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollimore. This has been I Doubt.